Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. I know our class is supposed to be growing a little bit because some of the teachers are missing. Thank you for being here. If you're a new student, we're delighted to have you. Glad to have you visitors with us. Glad to have the regular members here. Delighted to have those online. We're going to be studying from Nehemiah chapter 9 today. We're going to start back in chapter 8. In chapter 8, Ezra brought a copy of the law to the water gate. This was on a special day. Rosh Hashanah. Rosh means uh, head. Hashanah means year. It was the first day of the year. That is of the civil year. It was in September, October. The uh, sacred year began in at the Passover, near the before the Passover, a little bit back in March, April. This is really the seventh month of the sacred year, but the first month of the civil year, Rosh Hashanah, head of the year, Feast of Trumpets. It was a holy day of the year. Very quickly, back in the book of Exodus, God mentions three feasts, and every male was to come to Jerusalem during those three feasts. One was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which began the day after the Passover back in March, April. The other was Pentecost, which occurred in May, 50 days after the Passover. And the last feast they were commanded to to be at was called the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Ingathering. On the 21st day, it began the, the 15th day of Tishrei, which is the first month of the civil year. Now that you're totally confused, we're in Tishrei now with our lesson in chapter 9. But again, let's stay in chapter 8 for just a minute. Um, this is, uh, that which occurred in chapter 8 is the head of the year. The uh, first day of the civil year, which began a ten, 10 days of awe, repentance, coming down to the 10th day, which was the Day of Atonement. Uh, go to that first, yeah, we're on the first slide right now. Way to go there. He's ahead of me. Uh, head of the year, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and then uh, Sukkot, the Feast of Booths, the 15th through the 22nd of that month. You're going to say, well, that's not important, but it really is important. Because look at chapter 9, verse 1. On the 24th day of the month, this is Tishrei, September, October. This is after the uh, Day of Atonement, which was on the uh, 10th day of Tishrei. This this was the uh, day after, two days after the close of the Feast of the Tabernacles. The children of Israel were assembling with fasting in sackcloth and dust on their heads. Why? Because they have been reminded that this is what God ordained 
from the beginning of their nation, and they haven't been doing it. They've not been keeping these feasts, any of them. And this feast, this particular feast right here, the feast of uh, the tabernacles where they would build huts and live in them for a week was one that God demanded they do, come to Jerusalem and do. Those uh, of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners. You didn't hear that, did you? Separated themselves from all foreigners. What if one of them was married to a foreigner? Brother Glenn preached a tremendous sermon this morning. There were some sad times in that day. They stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. For many, many generations, they had done the same. They had ignored God's will in these matters. They stood up in their place, read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for one-fourth of the day. One-fourth of the day is six hours. I'm sure you can calculate that. How would you like to sit here or stand here for six hours and hear someone, maybe a good reader, read? We get Tom Collier to do that. He's a good reader. Six hours. And for another fourth, six more hours, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Then Jeshua, Bonnie, Cadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunni, Sherebiah, Bani, and, and Kenanai stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Bani, Hashemniah, Sherebiah, Odiah, Shebaniah, Bethaniah said, you didn't think I could do that, did you? Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. And beginning in verse 6, we have a prayer uttered by Ezra. As we read this prayer, you might be thinking, this is just repetition of what's been before. We can read this in Psalm. We can read this in various places. The facts that are here, they're stated over and over again, and they are. But I want you to put this in context. These people have built a wall. They've overcome God's enemies, with God's help, of course. They've been led by Nehemiah. Ezra is their priest now, functioning as a priest. They're trying to get past what has happened in the past and go all the way back to God. This is restoration. To be restored to their first love. But here's Ezra's prayer. Nothing new here, but I hope you learn a lot. You alone are the Lord. And he used the word Yahweh there. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, all the angelic hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that are in them, and you preserve them 
The host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of the earth of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. Hmm, I want to stop there. Go to the next slide because this is very, very, very important. You know these things. You know what I'm about to tell you, but maybe not the great details of it. Look here at Genesis 12. Now the Lord, the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. Underscore that in your mind, a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great, you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. You're going to see right now that the great nation he's going to, he's promised Abram right now is the nation through which he will bless all families of the world. But Abram is going to get bigger than that because the nation he promises Abram right now, nation of Israel. And then he says, that nation, through that nation, you will bless all families. Now, let's take some time to do something some of you don't like, but we're going to do it anyway on the next slide and talk about the word Abram. <laughs> Break this word down. It starts with A-B. Actually, it doesn't start with A-B. It starts with Aleph Bait. Aleph Bait, the first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet. But their words and letters had meanings that ours don't have. Aleph was first written as an ox head. It meant strength. And bait was a house. And those people in the, of the Hebrew language took to heart the meaning of the letters. So we have Abraham, or Abram rather, starting with Aleph Bait, strength, house, which means strength of the house, father. We knew that already. Abraham was known as father. But then the end of that is Ram, which is from Rosh. We already talked about Rosh. It means head. Abram is head father. And Abram, head of a multitude, that is of his direct descendants. That's what Abram means. I'm going to make of you a great nation. Nation that's large, big, numberless, like the stars of the sky, sand of the sea. But look over here in Genesis 17 as he changes Abraham's name, Abram's name. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. Genesis 12 said, I'll make a great nation of you. He said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you. Kings shall come with you, from you. And, with, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and your generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you, to your descendants after you. So let's jump from Abram to Abraham. Next slide, please. And look here. I don't know what is inserted there. I don't know if it's A-H or if it's H-A. It doesn't really matter. A-H means holy one. 
and H-A means the breath of life, Abraham turns to, Abram turns to Abraham. It's a big step. Abram, who is head father, Abram, who is head of a multitude, becomes Abraham because the greater has made the father of a great nation, the father of a multitude of nations. Here's really what happened. When God changed Abram's name to Abraham, he inserted his own name in Abraham. He had Abram, which meant powerful father, head father of a house. But then he put the A-H or the H-A in there, which is God's name, a part of it, and changed Abram into Abraham. I love that. It's, uh, it's something we sometimes overlook. We don't know why he, and then there's Sarai, his wife, who also gets an A-H on her name. This is big. It's like James Andrews becoming a Christian. I have God's name or Christ's name attached to my name now. Didn't actually change my name. Gave me a new name. Isaiah 62 verse 2. That didn't cost you anything. I hope you hope you remember it. You found his heart faithful before you. This is back to the thought here in verse 8. God, you found Abraham's heart faithful before you. Made a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Gergesites, and to give it to his uh, descendants. You have performed your words, for you are righteous. I want you to think as we go through this prayer to see how many times Ezra talks about God being righteous. He lifts God up. We should lift God up in our prayers. We should praise him in our prayers. We should praise him in our speech. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt. You heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted proudly against them, so you made a name for yourself as it is this day. How did you do that? You divided the sea before them. So they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and their persecutors you threw into the deep, as a stone into the mighty waters. This may be a little bit off the subject for exactly what we're talking about, but I have to say this. After they left Goshen and started east, they traveled through what is now the Suez Canal. So many people believe that is... uh, where they went through the Red Sea. Not at all. That was marsh land. That was marshy land. They went through the Red Sea on the other gulf, the Gulf of Aqaba. Now that moves, of course, Mount Sinai from the traditional location over into Midian, where the Bible says it is. I don't want to get a map. I don't want to argue about that, but that's the most reasonable thing. The, the Gulf of Aqaba was 10 miles across. It had a large place 
on his west banks where these three million people could assemble. It was a place where Pharaoh ran up on them and they were saying, how are we going to get out of this? Here's the sea, here's the wilderness, here's Pharaoh. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Well, you divided the sea before them. They went through the midst of the sea on dry land. Their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. I read that a while ago. I wanted to read it again. Like someone would throw a stone into a pond, lake, river, whatever. It sinks. Nobody sees it again. Pharaoh's army was drowned. Not in a marsh. Was drowned in, in, a, in a sea, as it were, the Gulf of Aqaba. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar, by night with a pillar of fire, to give them light on the road which they shall travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai, spoke with them from heaven, and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made them know your Sabbath, and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger. You brought them water out of a rock for their thirst and told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. I must stop here for just a moment. At the beginning of verse 14, you made known to them your holy Sabbath. Now, it would be redundant and crazy for me to ask you if you've seen the Ten Commandments by Cecil B. DeMille. You have. It's a beautiful movie. Has a lot of truth in it. Like all other movies, has a lot of error in it. The Egyptian taskmasters fussed because the slaves would not work on the seventh day. It was a religious thing. They didn't know about the Sabbath. Moses didn't know about the Sabbath. Israelites didn't know about the Sabbath. It is true that when God created man, he rested on the seventh day and sanctified it, but he sanctified it to give to his people later. And he gave it to Israel to show them they were no longer slaves. They could now rest on one day a month, a year, a week, whatever. You're ahead of me. He did not give that to us. There's nothing that indicates that stayed around. We do not remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. They did. They should. They must. But when God gave first manna in the wilderness, he said, get enough on Friday to last you through Saturday. If you pick up two days worth on any other day, worms will get in it will rot. But some of them didn't pick up enough on Friday to last till Saturday. And they went on Saturday looking for it and it wasn't there. Because it was a holy day and God said, you can't work on Saturday. He had never told anybody that before. Nor since. He paid for our sins. And Israel is no longer the nation she was. 
Moreover, verse 12, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar, by night with a pillar of fire, to give them light on the road which they should travel. Oh, I've already read that. Sorry about that. Way back. Now, at the end of verse 15, you brought water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go and possess the land which you'd given them. But, you know, I like that word sometimes. Sometimes it's a nice word. It's not a nice word here. It's kind of a negative conjunction here. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. Ezra is praying in the midst of all these people to God Almighty. They refused to obey, he says. They were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them, but they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. I remember when the spies went into the promised land, they came back with glowing reports, but 10 of them said, whoa, wait a minute. Good land, good food, land flows with milk and honey, but giants in the land, walled cities, we are as grasshoppers in their sight. And Joshua and Caleb said, let's go, let's go, let's do it, let's do it. No, we're not going to do it. And the people rebelled. You know the consequences of that 40 years in the wilderness. But you might also remember that after God rebuked them, they said, uh, uh, first of all, they were going to appoint a leader to take them back to Egypt. We want to go back. We had, had plenty there. We want to go back. God rebuked them. Then they said, we'll go in and take the land. He said, no, you won't either. I won't be with you. How sad. But your God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. This morning at the end of the sermon, I was greatly drawn to this microphone down here. I don't think Glenn is in here. Is Glenn in here? Glenn's here. That was the most tremendous sermon I've ever heard in my life. I wanted to come and say, church, you have not heard a good sermon. You heard a great sermon. Fabulous. And then I thought to myself, James, I guess you'd be out of order. But all elders almost did it. Almost did it. What a lesson. And Glenn taught that right there. Your God ready to pardon, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abundant kindness, did not forsake them. Even when they had made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocations, yet in your manifold marshes, you did not forsake them in the wilderness The pillar of cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light, the way they should go. God kept on keeping on right now anyway.
You also gave them your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold manna from their mouth and gave them water for thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out. Their feet did not swell. Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, the land of Heshbon, the land of Og, king of Bashan. Thank you, God, for all you have done for us. We did not deserve this. Our fathers did not deserve this. They treated you like mud. And you kept on. You also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven. Brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to go in and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land. You have subdued before them, subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they wished. And they took the strong cities, a rich land, possessed lands full of all goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in their great, in your great goodness. The land they inherited, that was God's plan. God told Abraham it would be like this. He told them how to do that. Never, I don't like this next word. Nevertheless. God, after all, if you did all this for them, if you done all this for our, for our fathers, nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. Cast your law behind their backs. That means they ignored your teachings. But literally, the Hebrew does say it casts their law behind their, cast your law behind their backs. Sometimes in translations, we translate things like that, and it's always good when you do because, well, somebody says, I want it just exactly like it is in text. But sometimes that gets cumbersome I was working in Ukraine years ago and one of my men working with me said I want the translator to translate everything exactly like I say I said I don't think you do yes I do too I want my exact words out there I said in other words if you say you give him an inch you'll take a mile you want that translator to say you give him 2.54 centimeters He'll give you 1.4 kilometers. I don't think that's going to work. Misses the point. But anyway, right here, I do think we understand this. Cast your law behind their backs and kill your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked great provocations. Therefore, you delivered them into the hands of the enemies. The enemy overcame them? No. That's not what he said. The enemy was stronger than they? No, that's not what he said. The enemy was shrewder? No. You gave them, God, over to their enemies. Put them in their hands. Who oppressed them, and in the time of their trouble, when they cried out to you, you heard from heaven, and according to your abundant mercies, not just mercies, your abundant mercies, 
You gave them deliverance who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, you know what's coming? Brother Glenn was on this track today. He didn't say these words, but he was talking about this very thing. After they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore, you left them in the hands of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies, and testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly, did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and could not hear. God wants you to do this. So what? I've heard that. I've heard that. Regrettably. I heard one woman say that she did all these things for God. She enumerated some of them. And then how do people treat me? I'm tired of it. Later on in her life, she totally went astray. I visited her. I knew her well. She looked at me and said, James, I'm going to hell when I die. And I'm going to have as much fun as I can until I get there. She's not with us anymore. I tell that story very sadly. I don't know where I was. Was I, was I in verse 28 or have I passed that? I'm in third. Good, thank you. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit and your prophets. Yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hands of the peoples of the land. Listen, you gave them into the hands of the people of the land. Nevertheless, in your mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them. For you are God gracious and merciful I love that I'll quickly refer back to Isaiah chapter 6 Isaiah's call to uh, Lord send me whom shall I send Lord send me and the Lord sent him and gave him a commission to go and teach not to lead but to confuse the people and he said I, how long is this going to be and God said I'm going to destroy most of this but I'll leave a remnant God was talking about taking these people into captivity. Isaiah was going to help him do that. And then he would bring a remnant. This is the remnant. He's praying before the remnant right now. God did not destroy his people. He just weeded them down to about 10% of what they were. Read Isaiah 6. Sometimes you come away shaking your head if you're not familiar with it. You did not utterly consume them nor forsake them, for you are God, gracious and merciful. Now, for our God, the great and mighty, this is verse 32, the awesome God, hear how he goes on. The great and mighty God, the awesome God, 
who keeps covenant mercy. Do not let all these troubles seem small before you that has come upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers, and on all the people from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. You know what he just said? God, what has happened to us might seem a bit insignificant to you. You're so powerful, but it is not insignificant to us. Do not let it seem small to you. We are in deep, deep trouble. Give us time to restore. We're working on it. We're trying to get things right. I cannot cannot help but notice back there in verse, in chapter 8, that the uh, first day of the year, the head of the year, is celebrated. And the feast of the uh, harvest, not the feast of the harvest, the feast of the tabernacle is celebrated. But between that, the day of atonement, a great day is not even mentioned. I just wonder if he is concentrating on the day of the huts because that's required of the Lord that all people assemble for that. And perhaps the day of atonement has not yet been restored. However, you are just. Now he says, that we want, I want you to do this. Please don't think this is a small matter. However, you are just. In all that has fallen us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. God, if you choose not to listen to me, if you choose to make this a big deal, you're righteous and just in doing that. Because we have done wickedly. Neither our kings nor our princes, our priests or our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments, your testimonies which you testified against them. For they have not served you in your kingdom, in their kingdom, or the many good things that you gave them are in large and rich lands which you set before them and did not turn from their wicked ways. Here we are, servants today. God's servants, that's not what he's talking about. We're servants of a foreign king. The land that you gave to our fathers, eat its fruit and its bounty. But here we are, servants in it, servants in this land. This is our land and we're servants in it. He yields much increase in the kings you've set before us, over us. Because of our sins, we're reproducing things for those overlords, those Persian kings. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure, and we're in great distress. How sad. And because of this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. There is Ezra's commitment. Ezra said, we're going to change things. I thought we were through when we finished the wall. No, 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 no. The wall was to protect the city. So the temple then could be purified and holy again. That was just the beginning. I thought I was all right the day I was baptized. This is good. I have a punched ticket to heaven. No, you don't either. No, you don't. You're a servant of God. Working to serve God. 
living to serve God must be that way. We cannot cast it off and do what we want to. Go back to serve Satan. Oh, God will pull me out if I do that. What an attitude. That always has a great cost. He pulled David out. But he said, David, the sword will not leave your house. One of David's sons raped his sister. One of his sons killed his son. One of his sons tried to take the kingdom over and was hanged. In the boughs of a tree and somebody came and put a lance through his heart. David, you're forgiven. But there are many consequences. Because of this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. How is your covenant with God? Please bow. Father, thank you for our blessings. Thank you for your great divine book. Thank you for Nehemiah and and Ezra, who so fittingly represented you and your work. Thank you for the history we have recorded. We can read and understand. Bless this church. Bless our elders. Bless this class. We pray through Christ. Amen. Don't run in the hall. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.